ASI is a listener-supported podcast. We enormously thank you for any size donation you can give to keep this message alive and growing. You found me This is ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, Season 2, Episode 9. I have a guest today, once again, the author, co-author of the book, Rid of My Disgrace, Justin Holcomb. Today's word is confrontation, dealing with, uh, with that word, defining that word. I had a situation that came to the show where someone wanted my advice on reporting sexual abuse. Um, what do you do, right? I mean, one of the things that we don't really bring into light, into the situation, is the emotional reaction to um, confrontation in this area. Everybody says, yeah, duh, call the cops, of course. But it's not that easy when it comes to someone you know, someone you love, when you know that reporting this is going to blow up the situation. It's going to be a life-altering time. I'm not an expert. Uh, I brought a guy in who knows a lot more than I do. It, it It is a heavy, weighty subject, and I pray that you do not take this lightly. Justin, welcome. Thank you for being here. And uh, that song, this subject is is very intense, very real. Um, you and your wife wrote this book, Rid of My Disgrace. If people want more um, information on that, uh, episode 119, I did the full interview with you. This, this subject today, um, I really wanted to focus on not bringing up the listener because he's anonymous and I don't want to bring up his story as much as... Uh, as much as I want to bring up the emotional reality of it. I wanted to go into a little bit of your background. I did a lot of it on the last interview, but just so the listeners know that you are not unfamiliar. I mean, you wrote the book, Rid of My Disgrace. That's one thing, obvious. Um, But more than that, this is not a topic that is foreign to you. You're not a a layman in this this area, right, Justin? Yeah, it's not not abstract and it's not just theoretical and it's not just research uh we say in the book that we have experience uh pastorally professionally and personally and and i said that because my wife and i both have done research and teaching and uh you know i was at a university in in university of virginia my wife uh, did her master's thesis on sexual violence and i taught sexual violence uh, and violence against women and pastorally we're counseling hundreds of people uh, who are sexual assault victims and then personally it's because when I was 10 11 12 I was abused by uh, an extended family member right. so it's not 
this isn't just something that I read about and got fired up about. It was, you know, realizing firsthand what it, what what that kind of being sinned against in that way can do and the implications and and the power of the gospel to to really uh, give hope and healing. Right. That's my story too, and really some of my own anger towards myself for not reporting it myself. Because there was a time where I wanted to report it, and I actually confronted the guy about it, you know, the guy who was doing that to me. And his reaction was devastating to me. And, yeah, you know, if somebody would have said something beforehand, you know, I mean, I was in drugs and alcohol. I died when I was 16, just keeping the pain under wraps and, you know, like one pastor said, like trying to hold this basketball under water of, of the abuse. So, uh, yeah, again, thanks for being here. I, I said in a past show, and I was trying to do like an emotional reaction to this, but if somebody, like if you're in a church or you're a pastor or you're a priest or something like that, and somebody's you know, suspected of molesting a child, it's, it's here. Hear that? That's the phone. You freaking call the police, all right? I mean, that's kind of obvious. But again, you know, when this guy's email came in, it was like, you know, wow. I, I had to step back, and maybe there was a little self-righteousness in me there. Because, again, you have this relationship. And I wanted to kind of confront. confront um, you brought another one up that I didn't think of, which is conformity and social pressure. Um, but also, the voices of fear, man. You, you're, you're holding, you know, you're holding a little secret and it's going to speak to you, you know? Yeah. Just like that voice, it's going to come to your head and it's going to say things like, um, well, the victim's going to become a target, Justin. Yep. They're going to go to court. Even kids are brought under scrutiny by some jackass lawyer. They're re-victimized frequently. Exactly. Um, what do you, what do you say to that kind of thing, you know? It's true. It, it is true, and it's uh, for for anyone to report. And, and sexual assault in general is the one of the most underreported crimes there is, if not the most underreported crime there is, because there's so much shame involved in what happened, and and even the victim thinking that they're to blame. They asked for it. They you know they shouldn't have been drinking at the party, or right. especially little kids. They they just don't know. They're thinking, well, what did I? I must have done something to cause this person who I trust to do this to me. And so they, it's frequent, it's very common for a victim to uh, feel like they have, they're to blame in some way, they're responsible for what happened. Um, and, and so when, when that happens, then reporting it, it feels like they're telling on themselves sometimes. So there's, not only do they feel like they're telling on themselves, but then in addition, there's the cultural shame of you're dirty, you're filthy, and they feel dirty and filthy. Right. And then just the way that, you know, in our culture, we don't respond well to victims of sexual assault. We, we, for some reason, a lot of victim blaming takes place, and and so there's, so there's there is fear, and it's it's appropriate fear to that they will be they will be put on the stand and judged, and then practically, if you're trying to get to the facts, you have to ask difficult questions, and in reliving those probing questions by uh, investigators or lawyers. Um, it, there's a lot of re-victimizing, and so it takes a lot of courage and bravery just to report. Right. I don't mean just to minimize. It takes tons of courage and bravery to report. Um, it takes tons of courage and bravery just to tell someone else, yeah. let alone report. I mean, just 
you know, the telling another person who you love and trust that they're not going to freak out and shun you and run away cringing at the horror of your horrible story is enormous. That's a great gift. Just listening. That, this is why in the book we said, hey, you know what? The, the first thing you can do if you want to care for someone is listen and believe them. Right. Because most people don't lie about this. Uh, my wife in her years of counseling knows of one person who misconstrued. She was still abused, but she added dimensions to the story. Right. She knows one who exaggerated the story. I don't know of anyone. Now, of course, they may have told me, and I just don't know about it, but I'm saying out of the hundreds, we know of one that exaggerated the story. Right. Uh, so we have. So you have the, uh, it's most underreported, there's the fear, and then when you finally get on the stand, if it goes to prosecution, and so many cases don't, um, then you have to put up with the questions. And the probing questions of what were you doing, what were they doing, why did it happen, what exactly happened, and, and so it does make sense why you'd want to protect the victim from further um, pain right. in this. And so that's why that's why a lot don't go to prosecution. Um, that's why some say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I just don't want to do it. And and that's why a lot of people get off and don't don't have to face the consequences. Uh, but back to your original question, I kind of went off a few rabbit trails there, but your original question was the fear of the, the poor victim going through more pain. That's a reality. Yeah. But and that's why that's why if they're adults, you leave it up to them. And inc- I mean, my wife and I encourage people all the time: please talk to the police. We're not. It's your will. I mean, the, this is the important thing: your will was violated. And so, in this conversation, uh, it's all about your will. If you want to go, we want you to go. But there's no pressure. There's no coercion. You know, wisdom would say it'd be good for you to report it. You can always press charges later if you want to. But it should you go to the hospital and go to the police, right. and we'll go with you. Um, but if it's a child, then you have to step in. You have to do oh, something. Yeah. And, and this is you, 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 it, in the first step for people who are thinking about it should be call the police with the information you have. But if you're not sure what to do, there's a there's a level before you call the police where you can call a sexual assault crisis center. You can call right. Rain R A I N N and okay. just call their hotline and say, Hey, all right. Uh, this is the situation that I'm in. I'm not even sure who I talk to about this. And they'll walk you through it. These people are, you know, they're experts, they're practitioners, and how do you navigate the resources that are there and available? Like, who do I tell? The first person I would tell is I would, um, because I, I know, I can talk to my wife, and we're like, okay, we encourage people to call the police, but in some situations, have them call the, have them call the you know, sexual assault crisis agency and, and get some wisdom on, you know, what, how do I do this well? If, right. I, if I am going to report this, is there a good way to do this? Like, you know, do I go straight to the cops? Do I? Who do I tell? You know, it depends on how old the person is, how old you are, how old the, the victim is. I mean, there's a lot of factors going in. And so making right. sure you know what you're doing is important, and they'll help you. Right. Yeah, that's so true. And, and just widening the net, you know, getting it outside yourself is also helpful. You tell one other person, that that other person is also kind of carrying that too, you know, even if it is someone on the other side. I'll put a link to that on the website too. Um, The Joe Paterno case was one for me that, you know, it it, it kind of highlights and shows some of the emotional reaction to what could happen. Imagine, Justin, if Joe Paterno, back when this was going on, would have reported that. Now, that would have been great for the kid who was being assaulted. It would have been a life-changing 
right? Somebody got on his team kind of a thing. But also, there would have been some real fallout from the college with what happened, right? Not only would it have changed that kid's life, it probably would have changed what it looks like a few dozen kids' lives. And that's an important point we can come back to later, but most perpetrators have multiple victims. Rarely right. is there a perpetrator that has one. So so there's there's a reason for reporting just for the, the sake, not just the one, and that's important, but for the amount of victims there are in, in the wake of that. But consequences for reporting, uh, for for the person reporting, for the victim in the situation, and the perpetrator, I mean, it, it does, it, it hits the fan. And for Joe Paterno, it would have been difficult. Why did you, how long did you know? I mean, he, he would have been called into question, uh-huh. which frequently happens to the person who, who finally does know and then they report. There's questions of, well, how long did you know? Why didn't you report sooner? You know, thank you for reporting. You don't get in trouble, but your character's up for question. Right. And, and rightly so, too. You want to know, were you complicit in any way? So the person who finds out and reports, um, and it's always complicated because he knew the coach. Right. He knew him. And so what happens is you have to rewrite the history you know on that person. Because what you until you know this fact or are suspicious of this this abuse, what you know about that person is, you know, they, they're giving, they're a good friend, they're faithful, right. they're I mean, all these good there's a reason why you're friends with them. There's a reason why you enjoy being around them. And when you hear this new piece of information it causes it causes a, a swirl of trying to interpret that person and your interaction with them, and so it feels uneasy. It feels um, confusing, and right. so 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 Joe Paterno would had a bunch of things swirling at that time. And also, he just didn't know. I mean, one of the things that and I'm not trying to whitewash the past and stuff like that, but from I, I paid attention to his interviews, and one of the thing was he said, "I just didn't know that really could happen." So he was he was you know there was a incredulity there was disbelief not not that the kid would be lying just like that doesn't happen does it like right and so um there's a little bit of ignorance of and i mean in a good way of just not knowing there was uh probably some good old boy club stuff going on um, social pressure social pressure yeah. and then and then you know his platform he's the coach you know you know everyone knows who he is so it's easier, it's a lot easier to be a coward and not say something. It's a lot cleaner for everyone except for the victims because they just get devastated and then there's devastation for each victim and then just the scope of how many victims there are right. is equally devastating. The per, uh, another, another fear um, is law enforcement and state agencies. Um, just for example, you know someone who's a single mom, and the kid is going to be if there's a if there's a child in the situation. This this is going to rip up their their world, you know, um, and they worry about a kid, you know, because kids molest kids, man. It happens, and it's happened a lot, and it's there's a lot of that, you know, in the media today, especially. Um, you know, people worry about. What happens when their kid goes into the the state agencies? Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes you know they go into I don't know foster care or something like that. And so, what do we? How do we handle that? It has a tragic feel to it. Yeah. Um. Is we can't work under the myth that well, it, it's probably better for them to stay where they're loved, which is where they're being abused. Which is not love at all. No. Um, 
but I again it going. I mean, I love the question because it it comes with all the reality of this these many situations, which is <clears throat> it makes sense to me that you call <clears throat> all the time, right? Get someone involved because I know how devastating it is. I've seen the victims and seen how devastating when the parents don't step up or other people don't step up and protect them. I can guarantee you there are thousands, if not millions, of little kids who <clears throat> are now adults who wish someone would have gotten them into a foster care situation or into a state agency so they wouldn't have been abused by the monsters that tormented them. Yeah, for years, so, right? When, once, you know, I'm, I'm hearing the question, um, and I think it's a wise question, I'm hearing the question from the perspective of someone who uh, listens to a lot of victims' stories and the devastation of the trauma they go through at the hands of of the people that know them and are supposed to care for them is enormous. And so I have no problem erring on, yeah, there's consequences and the children might be taken away and it, it won't be done perfectly. I mean, the state agencies aren't perfect, but I am so glad they're there to do this because in other cultures, they would just stay in those families until they just be abused. That's what they'd be there for. They'd just be abused. Uh, it's the best case scenario, but it's not perfect. Right. And so we have, you know, got to answer the question with eyes wide open. And it's tragic because there is a shot. There is a chance that 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 child will be abused by another child in the system or and get in a foster care situation where they're not cared for. But I know some friends who they're, I mean, numerous friends. That one of the things they want to do is they realize they looked around and they've done some social work and they've been involved in social work and they realize the foster care system can. Um, there's some pain can happen there, but that's also a place where we need to get involved and, and be caring with these kids. And so they're opening up their home. I know right. numerous families opening up their home and saying, hey, you know what? Our job is to be a place where you can live until you're adopted. Like literally like they don't, they're not doing foster care until they adopt the child. They're saying wide open. We want to be here uh, to serve. And that group's growing. Right. And the more, if you want to change the situation, go ahead and change some policies. That'd be awesome. Do some voting here and there. But one of the best ways to change it is to make the sacrifice. They're making the sacrifice of opening up their home to some children who have had a lot of trauma, and that's going to bring some, some, uh, some trauma into the house, um, and they're ready for it. And it's to also serve. being the hands and feet of Jesus, you know. And that's why being the church. It. Right? It's a bunch of Christians who looked around and said, "Man, God." In one sense, the church is a, a really good foster care situation, but we've been adopted is even better. But that whole vibe of, man, I was. I was fatherless, and uh, I've been adopted by God yeah. as my father. And it's because of a bunch of people that had that experience of being adopted by God into the family that that theology and that teaching practically works itself out in them saying, I want to open up my home to people who don't have families. And so that's the reason they're doing it. It's out of their experience of their relationship with God right. and wanting to, wanting to communicate that as practically as possible and that's a pretty practical way to right <laughs> so it's not just like we're we're handing them over to this monolithic federal government gray yeah. bar hotel system you're actually in these this kid's life and also the other thing is I, honestly i mean I, the foster care system and, and just the state system is kind of the last resort they're going to look and see if there's family members right. they're going to say hey is there someone who wants to 
take care of this child and protect them and if for a season or I mean so they're going to look around and say okay is there are there grandparents are there aunts and uncles are they and they're going to get involved and they're going to have social workers going and checking in as much as possible to make sure that more you know more abuse isn't happening so there's 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 safeguards there's checks and balances and there's other options and so it's not kind of like well I take those kids and we're going to find some stranger to hand them over to yeah. and not check in on it. I mean, it's, right. it's, again, it's not a perfect situation system, but it's a it's a good one. It's a decent one. Right. It's better than it's better than the torment that a lot of these kids are going through. Absolutely. So, but true. feeling the weight of that is, yeah. Again, going back to the, the going back to the emotions of reporting is um, there's fear for the victim if you report that they'll be under more scrutiny. There's fear that you're going to that this not you that the reporting will uh, fracture the family mm -hmm. and that's a possibility and sometimes fracturing the family is the best thing that can happen though right that's right but it's a real thing that that child will then be out of the context of of what they know and what is comfortable broadly right this is their neighborhood this is their family this is their whoever this is their where they go to school and then they'll be lifted out of that and, um, but that's where that's why we say, hey, until you're 18, other people make decisions for you, is that there's things that they just don't know also. And so, not to be right. patronizing, but someone's got to protect them. That's right. The, the perpetrator also, you know, Justin, we're kind of going into the, the perpetrator's story here. Um, you know, it, it, there's two kinds of perpetrators, and thinking about um, James, you know, the book of James, four six that that god gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud there's going to be perpetrators that are sorry and repentant and you know yeah i, I struggle with this i'm gonna you know i'm just gonna go out and, and say this and throw this in too um I, I by the grace of god this is you know on keyword sexual addiction this is the most listened to podcast on sexual addiction on itunes um, if you put in the word addiction on iTunes, it comes up number one or two just in addiction. Um, I'm not going to pretend that there isn't people listening who may have a kind of addicted sexual attraction to children. I'm not going to be naive to that fact. There may be a few of those listening. Um, it's probably more than a few. The fact that the, what, what pornography does, the hardwire brains, and if you go down certain paths you actually make that groove and you cause your body to want want images of young children right and so you can actually program your brain and it's amazing so i you know and you know this too i think but uh yeah there's probably more than just a few right it it gets darker you know yep. the same thing that got you off last year isn't going to get you off this year and, and i you know it can get very, very dark, this, this addiction and this, um, so, you know, I wanted to go into a couple of things. Um, people who love the perpetrator, a lot of times, most cases, right? This is a family member, isn't it? Yes. Yes. That's the thing is, I mean, 80% of sexual assault cases are, uh, perpetrated by someone that the victim knows. Right. And even more, the younger you get, most the you know for children it's even more than eighty percent. It most children are sexually abused by someone in their family, you know immediate family, uh, it, you know extended family, you know aunts uncles further down the route road, um, uh, teachers, pastors, 
daycare workers. I mean, just someone that the child knows is in their life. Right. That's how they get access to them. Justin, mom says I shouldn't say anything about dad. You know, what would you say to that little girl? Yeah, well, before we even get to that, I mean, I think parents need to blow up the whole idea of secrets. Exactly. Um, my, right. One of the things my wife and I did was we just said, honey, you know what? And like, she's like, hey, I have a secret. Like, no, we have surprises. We don't keep secrets. We just, there's no category called secret in our family right. uh, because we don't want her to have something where, like, you can tell mommy and daddy everything. We want to hear everything, no matter what it's like. And and so when, when they say, as soon as you hear that, and unfortunately, so going back to the question that you said is the, the scenario of a uh, little girl saying, hey, mommy, I'm not supposed to tell you what, you know, happened from daddy. Uh, most of the time what happens in that scenario is the child's not believed mm-hmm. and silenced. And I've heard stories the past few weeks of children who, as you know, five, six, ten-year-olds, mustered up the courage to say something to one of their parents because it was dad or grandpa. They said, it's not nice to lie about people. Mm-hmm. In all three cases that I heard in the past two weeks, the first response to that was, it's not nice to lie. So you're automatically looking at that child, looking at your kid and saying, you're lying. You're not, not even dismissing. You're actually turning the tables and saying, no, no, you're lying about them. They're good. And then you're siding with them and calling what they just did good. You're right. either calling the abuse good or you're calling that person good when all that little kid knows is pain and, and hurt. Um, If I were a parent, I'd want to hear everything that's going on in my kid's head, whether or not I think it's true or not. Why would you not want to know why they would say something that devastating? It's because most people just want to live in denial, and they think that maybe he was drunk because he drinks a little bit, or, uh, yeah, there's there's always some explanation for some jerk to abuse a kid and for no one to call him out on it. Um, And we live in a world of male privilege. Men get away with a ton already. And this is a realm where men get away with a whole bunch because, you know, what's the wife supposed to do? I mean, imagine her situation. What if she doesn't have a career? What if she doesn't have a way of doing income? She's probably being abused by her husband, too, or has been. Because if, if, if a dad's abusing a little girl, he's not abusing that little girl. He's abused other people before he got to his daughter. Um, and so she's thinking, how do I survive? You know, you know if we leave, he might hurt us. Um, I'm not perfect. Who am I to judge? And how am I supposed to take care of my kids? And so I, I do get the pressure that frequently moms can be under. Right. Um, but there's no excuse. So that doesn't no. excuse them at all. I'm just saying, I get why there's pressure. You're the adult. You're the parent. Protect that kid. Figure it out. Get your head out of your butt. Right. And figure out a way to love your child more than you love yourself for a, for a moment. And uh, and. F- this kind of trauma usually is a legacy in a family too. And right. so what ends up happening is perpetrator was likely, possibly abused. Um, it's, it's usually the secret in the family for generations and generations and generations is perpetrated, per- perpetuated throughout the family. So as soon as you hear that from your kid, you, you do the opposite of shut them down and dismiss them and call them a liar. You say, Without, you say as clearly as possible, I'd like to hear whatever you need to tell me. Right. Tell mommy and daddy everything. Tell mommy everything. Tell daddy everything. Something you say in your book, too, that I thought was great is be 
angry, you know, be angry, but do not sin, scripture says, which is difficult. But I think the first stage of some people stuff their anger when it comes to this thing. And that's the opposite. You should be angry. You should be pissed off. Yeah. And this is the thing is that for some reasons, you know, Christians and emotions are kind of weird sometimes. You know that. You hung out, you know, we're weird. (laughs) Um, So, but... But people think, Christians have a tendency to think that anger is a sin. And anger is not a sin. So this cool thing about Ephesians 4, 32, 26, 30, somewhere around there, says be angry. It's a command. Paul yeah. says be angry. In your anger, don't sin. So he's saying there's a way to be angry in a godly way, and then there's an unrighteous kind of anger. Right. And, and we're invited. This is the cool thing about anger is that God's more pissed off and angry about it than we are. I mean, he's... This is his world. That's right. These are his children. And he's watching this father, in one instance, whom has been delegated by God to protect these kids. I mean, that's his God-given role is, hey, make sure people don't hurt them. And then not only is he not protecting them, not only is he being negligent, but he's actually the perpetrator. And so God, the creator of the universe, is getting the finger from this dad who's saying, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so God has every right to be furious. He's more angry at sexual abuse than we are. And so, you know, we're invited to participate in God's anger at the very thing that's happening. Now, that's the thing is that because we're not perfect and we're not holy like God, we will have a tendency to do anger poorly and do it sinfully and go for the revenge route. That's why scripture says, be angry in your anger, don't sin and vengeance is mine says the Lord. So what happens is it frees us up to be angry and say, okay, I can do what I'm responsible to do. So I'm angry. So as as someone who hears a story frequently as a counselor, pastor, I get angry and I can tell the person, like, I'm angry. Are you angry? Like, I'm angry at what happened to you and, you know, for counseling. And then um, I have a tendency to want to get revenge. Every time I hear these stories, I'm like, get them. Like, get them. And, uh, and, and so being able to, what, what we're responsible for as counselors and victims is to say, hey, you can report this. The appropriate response, harnessing the anger and feeling it, going through it, being angry. You can continue to be angry. Anger and bitterness are different. So be angry and the appropriate response would be like, okay, I want justice. I'm going to report this. Go for it. The negative way is to just become bitter, which ends up hurting the victim more anyway. Right. And, or to get revenge and to to devastate that person's life. Um, and I, I'm, I've become a big fan of vigilante justice. So I'm just saying, like, in theory, I really <laughs> yeah. like it. I don't encourage it because it's not uh, the best way to do things. But I, I understand why there's things like pervertedjustice.com. And I understand why dads take baseball bats to, you know, people. I get why. Like, that right. rage. But... That's the kind of vengeance that God's saying, no, 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 no. You know, report it. Do what you can do. Be honest. But vengeance is mine. Yeah. And it frees people up to realize, wait a second, creator of the universe, he's more angry than I am, and vengeance is his, so I don't have to get revenge. So it gets us off the hamster wheel of bitterness and revenge and allows people to actually be angry. Yeah. I'm still, I mean, I still think back what happened to me. I, I'm angry about it, but I'm angry differently than I was 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 25 years ago. Um, But yeah, anger is, you know, I encourage people go to town on it. I want them to grieve and be angry. Those are the two things that um, Christians specifically, like, well, I can't grieve because it makes, if I grieve, it feels like I'm 
challenging the sovereignty of God. And we're like, no, 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 no. He invites you to grieve. He want, He's already grieving and more. he's sorrowful for what happened. So you can join in that sorrow. He's participating in the sorrow he already has for what happened. And he's also angry. So yeah. I want you to... I want you to grieve and mourn, and I want you to be angry at what happened. And you don't have to do them at the same time. You don't. I mean, but those are options for victims. Those are also options for um, the those who are supporting victims, those who are hearing the story. Like, yeah, sadness and anger are appropriate. Right. And and so, uh, so as those who are hearing these stories, um, you know, being aware of that also, and 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 not not using the victim for your emotions not you know you don't want to you don't want to become the hero and or uh or take you know manipulate the victim to report or i mean there's just different ways that that can you know, get distorted and jacked up so we want to be aware of the fact of anger and sadness and and navigate wisely right and no one's going to outrun the grave you know yeah. And God has grace for people, and some people get angry about that. Like, this guy gets to get away with that and live this long life. Or, you know, I think about some priest who's put up in some, you know, basically a kind of a hotel for the rest of his life. And, and people think that that's unfair. And, you know, there's, I don't know the guy's heart, but I do know one thing. He will die someday. I was talking to a guy about hell, and he's like, well, I think that's cruel that God would send people to hell. I said, have you ever seen the movie Taken? movie by Liam Neeson and, and I don't know if you're familiar with that but he's the guy who says in that that clip in the in the preview you know I will find you you can't outrun me I have skills that are for tracking down scumbag pieces of crap like you and you will answer to me you know those aren't his exact words but that's the heart of God that's godly that's in the heart of God like his daughters are being abused and you know it is his sons they can't outrun god yep you know yeah victim perpetrator someone struggling with the the attraction to children what would you say to that person justin who's being a little convicted about their own um dark sexual attraction to children what do you say to that guy or that gal yeah that there's and i love the fact that it's scandalous cuz here we are getting all riled up thinking about the abusive kids and we're getting pissed off and people can see our faces we're you know a little blood to our face and we're flush and we're imagining you know this stuff and so we're getting angry but with the same kind of intensity uh being able to tell perpetrators you can be forgiven for everything and anything no matter what there's not a sin that can be committed there's not a uh, an addiction there's not an impulse that is outside of the scope of God, that not only does God's justice, uh, can, can no one outrun it, that he will hunt everyone down in that sense. It's the same way with his grace. You can't outrun his justice because yeah. you will die and face him, and you also can't outsend his grace. It's not like some addiction is so strong that God can't handle it. I mean, God is the one who created something out of nothing. He also raised his son from the dead, and he makes, you know, people who were his enemies, his friends, he can change anything and everything. Now, I don't, I don't want to be naive. Addiction to you know, child pornography and certain sexual addictions um, and have a recidivism that, so I want to be, you know, again, eyes wide open and don't say, hey, well, you prayed a prayer, get to it, have fun and don't worry about a thing. No, go in wisdom. And so there's a uh, registered sex offenders in all the churches I've ever served at 
And so instead of just, and, and we tell them, we're like, hey, you are, of course you're welcome. Like, who am I? I'm like, you know, this is, you know, Jesus is the one that, that leveled the playing field and said, hey, wait a second. There's this JV varsity difference between the religious and the not so religious. That's ridiculous. You all are equally like sinful before the law of God. Like just because you haven't physically had, you know, committed adultery, you are coveting in an inappropriate way someone else's wife. And, you know, so he's leveling the playing field. He's like, you haven't murdered, but if you're in your heart, you hate them, you are guilty of murder. So he's, He's intensifying the holiness and standard of God, so everyone is under this on the same playing field of sinner, and it flattens it out. So who are we? Yeah, I and thank God I haven't abused a child. Like that's great, and I'm glad there's less abusers of children than there could be. There could be more. So thank God. But who am I to tell some guy? Nope, you're that one's outside of the scope. I mean, yeah. we, Jesus is going around forgiving people who betrayed him and got him killed. On the cross, said, Father, forgive them while they're abusing and murdering him. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So if he can forgive his own murderers, we got the doors are wide open to everyone. And so telling them, in general, doors are wide open, let's do this wisely. So you go to this service, and you sit over here, and you check in. And you got to check in. you got to have an attendance agreement contract that... You're not going to just show up one day. Like you always have to check in. We got to know where you are. And so there's a way to do it that's not shaming. That's right. actually saying, "Hey, we want you to be here. We want you to listen to the Word of God. We want you to take communion. We want you to sing, and we want you to be part of our family." But let's do that wisely. Let's not be ridiculous about this. Um, and let's err on the side of caution because if you're truly a Christian, you don't want to hurt anyone else. Exactly. And uh, and you also don't want this to get out of control. And you don't want um, this any type of addictive attraction to children to grow into more than attraction and mm -hmm. we want to make sure you're everyone's safe you and them um, there's ways of doing that and then getting them you know the church then needs to step up and say hey let's get you some care what does that look like um, and that can take different forms that can take you know referral for counseling that can take some biblical counseling you can get a team approach on that and care for that person right. instead of instead of uh, shunning and and just, you know, not inviting them in. That's so, right. So there's definitely, so I'm equally as amped up for, you know, the, the, the message of grace, forgiveness, and healing. And this is, I mean, the Bible says, you know, it talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Philippians 2.13, that God works in you to will and do his good pleasure. What that means is that if you have this desire and desires are weird things, but you have this desire that is in a sinful direction. You say, God, forgive me for my sins. Fill me with your spirit. You know, cleanse me. You know, and the Christian message is we, we give Jesus our sins, and he dies for the, our sins, and he gives us his righteousness. He lived a perfect life, and so we have faith in Jesus, and it's, a, it's called the great exchange. We give him our, con our sin and our consequences, and he pays them. And in exchange for that, we get his righteousness and purity. So before God, we're seen not only as forgiven, but forgiven and pure. Right. And so then we, then, that's great in itself, but then <laughs> we're given the Holy Spirit who works in us to will and do God's good pleasure. And so saying, I know I'm forgiven because I'm in Christ and I trust in Christ, but would you change this, God? Yeah. Change this, please. Change the desires. That's right. Give me new desires. 
incline my heart to want what you want me to want and what's good and true and beautiful, not wicked and deceitful and dark and devastating. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, goodness. I mean, there's a whole bunch. Nine listed there. There's more, but yeah. um, I'm assuming there's more. It's not just nine because there's nine in the list. But saying the fruit of the Spirit, cult is the Holy Spirit cultivates that in someone's life. And so being able to tell someone, you know what? Um, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I'm not telling you, hey, control yourself. I'm saying, you're new, you're forgiven, you're changed. If let's pray that God will right. cultivate and grow self-control, and that thing fruit. can come flowing out of you from the inside, rather yeah. than having somebody try and stuff it in from the outside. Well, you need to control yourself. It's actually a, a want to. It becomes a want to. That, dude, you if know? you can get, that's the key. If, yeah. if it becomes something that the person wants to do. That's the thing, is that we're driven by our desires. I mean, this is what Ashley Mill, he's a scholar on Thomas Cranmer, a 16th century reform guy. He said, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That's what right. the heart wants, the, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. We're driven by our desires. And not, I don't mean this in a, like, you know, we're animals driven by desire. I mean, like, we're driven by our loves. We're, dri we're worshiping creatures, and so we will worship and love something. So we're driven by our loves. And so what happens when we become Christians is that we become we have faith in Christ and we're new creations. We're regenerated. We're born again. We're made alive. And we're made alive with new desires and a new heart and new things that we care about. And, and the Holy Spirit cultivates those. And so what happens is you have people who say, yeah, I, used to, I used to really want blank, whatever it is. All right. I want that less and I want, I want life more. I want... I want fruitful, I want flourishing family more. I want to not hurt myself. I want to not hurt other people. You know, I, I want, I have these new desires. And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit cultivates those new desires. And then it flows out when, when the person, I think is great. If I have plenty of, you know, interactions with men and women who would call themselves, you know, sexual addicts, porn addicts. And I think it's great, wonderful when they stop looking at porn. Mm -hmm. That's great. What's even more impressive is when they want to stop looking at porn. Right. You can set things up, so you can, you know, you can set up, you know, different things on your computer where you can't get to it. Everyone yeah. can always work around it, but you can set it up so you don't look at porn. You technically don't look at porn, but when the person says, "I don't want to look at it," yeah. that's a bigger win. I'd rather have someone ha not want to and then slip up than have someone who's like, "Well, I got things set I got up, my so fences I can't." Up. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. It's better if you don't want to. That's yeah. awesome. That's a huge win. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's yeah. the work of God. It's not just, hey, you're forgiven. It's you're forgiven and you're new. Yeah. And let's work on this newness. And and that's why being filled with the Spirit, um, you know, repentance. And Martin Luther said the Christian life is one of repentance. That's right. That it's a you are always repenting, not out of dark morbidness, guilt and shame and all it's that. Kind like, of. hey, you're convicted and you're you're secure in Christ and you're not perfect and under the law of God. You're always sinning, but it's not a, he doesn't rub your nose in it. He says, hey, remember, I'm perfect and holy, and you're not. And it drives you to Christ again. It is always driving you to Christ to experience again his, his, his forgiveness and his grace and his acceptance and to then be renewed in your motivation to walk in repentance. Right. And it's fueled, it's repentance fueled by grace, the gospel, forgiveness, and God's acceptance. It's not fueled by fear of being shunned by the father. It's the prodigal son. It's, right. I mean, what was his fear? His fear was he was going to come in with this prayer and say, 
um, for everyone who doesn't know, read Luke 15. It's a story of a son who um, squandered his father's wealth and said to his father, I wish you were dead, so just give me my inheritance now. And he realizes what he did, that he just disowned his own father. And he realizes, I need to go back. And the fear in that son was, will he take me back? I'll go in humbly. And so he, you know, fashions this prayer of, well, Father, you know, if I can just come back and be like a servant, just a slave, that would be awesome. And his dad, and this is, again, a story from Jesus, his dad sees him from afar off and lifts up his tunic so he can run, yeah. um, which is something that a distinguished father would never do in that culture, runs after his son and wouldn't even let him make his deal of, let me be a servant. He's like, nope, I'm so glad Raps you're alive and you're back. Him. Hugs yeah. and kisses him and says, let's have a party. Yeah. And if what we need is we need more people. We need people believing that that's God's response to their wickedness and evil and sin and darkness. Yeah. Is that he responds like that. A new yeah. heart, you know? Yeah. And yet I imagine that guy didn't smell too good, right? And, uh, he he's was... standing there, he's sleeping with pigs. He probably smells like a big bag of crap. Yep. And his dad doesn't go, you know what, go take a shower first. Yeah. His dad doesn't do that. Nope. You know? He takes it onto himself. He does. What was that quote that you shared earlier about, and I've used that before too. Um, there was a, a minister, a pastor uh, back named Thomas Cranmer. And uh, he's, you know, there was Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Thomas Cranmer, kind of the three main guys of the you know, Protestant Reformation. And there's a scholar on Thomas Cranmer named Ashley Knoll who uh, summarized and said, hey, you know, his picture of humanity and how sin works. And he summarized it in that phrase that, that Cramer, it wasn't Cramer's phrase, it was a scholar who summarized it, said, you know what, what the heart wants, the will chooses, the mind justifies. And that's just really helpful, realizing that I'm not driven by just my ideas. I'm not just a, a bundle of better decisions I need to make. At the very, and this, Jesus was getting to the heart with his Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, hey, the heart's sinful. Out of the heart comes wickedness. He, Jesus was going for the heart. And once the heart is changed, then the wills and the thinking, the choices in the thinking, follow the heart. Right. Um, this is what this is what the this is what um, the Bible says. It says, "Hey, they did all these horrible things because their hearts were darkened." Right. And so, what we're realizing from Bible and from theology is that the hearts the the hearts the driving motivation behind our, a lot of our thoughts and actions. And so, what that spiritual means spiritual reality rather than a uh, yeah. uh, you know, wires in a box, like yeah. your atheist college professor will tell you. Yeah. It, we're more than that. Yeah. We're more than that. Well, what that means for us, for everyone, is, you know what? I need more than uh, just some new ideas. Yeah. And I need some more than just some willpower. I need... A new heart. I need a new heart. Thank you, man. Thank you for doing this this interview. And, again... um Touching on that and, and kind of closing on that, uh, what the heart wants. Uh, again, we talked a little bit about anger, and I'm going to go back and, and talk about some of the stuff I talked about in the earlier shows, and I'm going to reiterate that, but I'm going to reiterate that with this new attitude that we shared today. That if you're a, a clergy, if you work in a counselor's office, if you work in a school, if you're a priest who's taken a vow of silence over... No, no, not anymore. This is a courtesy call. I love the lyrics to that song. I'm going to end out with the same song that we started with. This is a courtesy call. This is an act of kindness. You pick up the phone. It's an act of kindness. 
We talked a little bit about anger. Listen, some of you aren't angry enough. Some of you let and continue to let evil make its way because you don't want to open your mouth. Man, that ends today, all right? We're all just going to give it to God and let God handle it. No, God gave you a telephone, all right? God said 911, all right? This is part of the what is the justice system is out there for a reason. Matthew 18, Jesus says, all the authorities are under me, all right? I pray that you get angry and you don't keep this stuff in the dark any longer and you let the wheels of justice run their course. And for some of you who have been abused, can I tell you something? I heard a, a story um, of this woman in California who was abducted when she was nine and she was abused for decades by the same man. He was arrested and she testified in court in graphic detail, just like we talked about in this interview where she was felt like, you know, it, it, I mean, the questions she was asked were very much like being abused again. But you know what she said? And this stuck with me as a guy who'd been sexually abused himself. She said, for me not to speak out was letting this guy get away with it, was letting this guy run through his own self-righteousness and through his own thinking that he, you know, is God and can do whatever he wants. No, it was for my own sense of letting it out of me, getting it out of me and let, letting justice run its course because of all the lies that she had believed about herself that this guy told her for decades and listen, if you've been abused way back in the past, you know, there's other parameters to that. But really, you know, you got to let it out of you. Not just for the fact that, yes, that person can go on to victimize others. That is another thing. You're letting evil take its course in other people by not speaking out. But for the fact that the lies that you believe that will keep you quiet, you're not angry enough at those lies. I pray that you stop believing lies, that you pick up the phone, and that you let justice run its course. There's a reason those laws are out there. It's to protect the public from predators. The Bible calls them wolves and sheep's clothing. And those sins need to be locked away. If that person's sin is owning them, they need to be locked away. If your sin owns you and you know behind your eyes if that's true or not, you need to pick up the phone and call the cops on yourself. There is a worse fate for you than prison. All right? And, and I love you and Jesus loves you, but you got to own your sin. And be honest about what that looks like to be cleansed from that. Because if it owns you and you don't own it, there's going to be a process to take place to heal that in you. And during that process, we don't want any other kids hurt. And neither do you. As a blood-bought Christian, you are not your sin. All right, Your sin is no longer your identity, but it may take some time to put that thing to death in you. And while you're getting help and while you're seeking to put that thing to death, man, I pray that you be realistic and pick up the phone and do the very heavy work of reporting yourself, if that's you. If you're harming children, you need to report yourself today. 
And I pray that this message stirs in you some, some strength of emotion and anger to turn yourself in, if that's you. Right? Your time is up. This ends today. This ends right now. You know something? Don't let this message cool, all right? You don't let this message cool, and you pick up the phone. You do something today. You start the ball rolling today. This ends now. This changes the future. Go to the website, asi247.org, there's a link to RAIN. This is the crisis line, the phone number's there on the website as well, and a link to their website. Also, Justin and Lindsay's book, Rid of My Disgrace, is there on the website on the homepage as well. And an article that Lindsay Holcomb wrote on eight ways to protect your children from childhood sexual abuse eight real discussions you can have, eight things you can do to safeguard your kids. It's a tough conversation to have, but man, we all have like any virus software for our computer to safeguard our computer. I just pray that we put the same, you know, kind of practical information and motivation into protecting and safeguarding our families. Whoever, um, wherever you are, whenever you are, just after you're done listening to this this message, uh, pray for courage for the folks that are listening, who who are impacted by this, whether they're perpetrator or victim. Um, just pray for good courage for them. All right. The opposite of courage is fear. The opposite of faith is, is also fear. And just pray that God's will would be worked out in in the ears that would hear. And that his ripple effect would be continued through through this message. I love you guys, and, and I mean that sincerely. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.